illegal participation on the defense. 15-yard penalty from the previous spot remains first down. This had better be a big play after all of that. Second down at eight, four and a half to go in the half, six nothing Beavers. Jonathan from the right hash from the zone 25, goes back to throw and throws the out, and it's caught, and it's going to be a big play! Chad Johnson down the left sideline, nobody will catch Chad, and it's a touchdown 75 yards for the Beavers! This is the moment, and right here we'll tell perhaps all about that. Third and one and a half from the right hash. Simon's in the handoff, can't cut to the left, first down and more, 30, 25, 20, Simonton on his way, 10, into the end zone, touchdown Beavers, and the streak is going to end here tonight. The snap on target to Nick. he gets a much better punt away here, Sammy Strotter back to his 30 yard line, starts up the middle, gets to the 40, he's got a seam, 45 midfield, 45, 40, he's got a chance to go, 20, 15, 10, 5, Welcome to Illegal Participation, the official podcast of the Heinrich Tailgater. Recording this while firmly ensconced, well, actually tonight I'm firmly ensconced at work, and not the Heinrich Tailgater headquarters. So did you bring your mic? (laughs) Head chef, planner, and chief bottle washer, Bill Heine Heinrich. Joining me as always, from the Heinrich Tailgater Northern Command Outpost, the lead driver and director of thermodynamic lipid immersion, my co-host and brother, the Beach. How you doing, Beach? I'm doing good, Billy. Did you bring the microphone and everything down there? Well, yeah, my microphone's not that big. <laughs> That's what I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just you know, it gets the job done for me. That's all I care about. Yep, doesn't no, go very like far, it. but it's... it rubs the hell out of the edges. It rubs the hell out of the edges. <laughs> yep. Yeah, no, I uh, I just brought it with me. Just so everyone knows out there, we recorded this show originally Tuesday night. Well, we attempted to... We didn't didn't record crap Tuesday night. Let's correct that. We spoke to each other over Skype, but we uh, didn't really get anything recorded. I don't think there was a we involved in not recording it. Yeah, true, true. So we're going for version 2.0 here. It's always the better when you go for 2.0. We, we take out all the uh, all the inconsistencies and all the BS and clean go. it up a little bit. It's like, it's like when they release a digital version of a movie. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Except Greedo still shoots first. Exactly. I mean, Han still shoots first. Yeah. The purpose of the illegal participation is for us to spread our insight, experiences, and passion for the Oregon State Beavers with others. And generally just talk beaver sports, football, tailgating, and have a little fun along the way, Beach. Beach, tonight is show number 60. All right. For episode two. Episode two. Love that. So tonight we'll talk a little Beaver Sports. I think you've got an update from Eugene for us. I do. I have a good one. Good, good. Uh, We'll go under for the review for week one in the Pac-12. We have a couple of Tommy Tuberville Jackass of the Week awards to hand out. We'll preview the upcoming week two games in the Pac-12, and then we will speak a little Michigan. 
Mm. Who the Beavs have coming up on Saturday morning, and we'll finish it off with a little Rosie Ruiz Cheaters and Horrors. Now, I just want to remind everybody if you'd like to communicate with us, there's a couple easy ways. You can email us, HeinrichTailgator at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at HeinrichTailgator, and you can also check us out on Facebook. All right, Beavs, you ready for a little Beaver sports news? Sure. Let's let's discuss the Beavers in sports. All right, Beavs, we'll start with a little women's volleyball. Billy, I freaking love women's volleyball. It's my favorite sport. Right on, Beach. The Oregon State volleyball team fell to the 23rd-ranked San Diego Toreros 3-1 to on Friday night at the Jenny Craig Pavilion. Hey, Billy, what the hell is a Torero? Beach, a Torero is a uh, bullfighter. Ah, okay. It's the, the Spanish word for bullfighter. Now, the Bees then lost to the Pacific Tigers 3-1 in its first of two games from Aztec Court at Peterson Gym on Saturday. But they finished up the weekend road trip with a 3-1 win over host San Diego State. The Bees are now 2-4 overall and return to action next weekend as they travel to Provo, Utah for a pair of matches at number 12, BYU. Yes, Beach? You said that the, the first gym was the Jenny Craig gym? Yes. The Jenny Craig, what, what did you say it was? It was the Jenny the Craig Pavilion. Pavilion. Yes. I bet you they have one hell of a buffet there. <laughs> or not, as the case may be. <laughs> you know, I bet, you know, hey, fat ass, get down to the <laughs> Jenny Craig Pavilion. <laughs> Here's your nachos. No cheese sauce for you, buckwheat. <laughs> it's kale chips and, and, and vegan cheese sauce. There you go. And that'll be two points. <laughs> nice alright Beads let's move on to women's soccer Billy I love women's soccer it's my favorite exhibition there you go the Oregon State women's soccer team tied Missouri 0-0 on Friday and remained undefeated through the first four games of the season now the Beavs were outshot 22-7 but goalie Bella Geist had 7 saves and moved into 7th place all time with 147 career saves in only 22 games she passed Kristen Dulaki, who had 146 stops from 1994 to 1997. That's a hell of a lot of saves. In only 22 games. Now, yeah. fresh, now, freshman Allison Pantuso scored in the 92nd minute on Sunday to give the Oregon State women's soccer team a 1-0 overtime victory over Kansas in the first ever game between the two programs. Now, sophomore goalie Bella Geist had three saves in recording her second straight shutout and her third of the season. She now has six shutouts in her career. And she moved past Elizabeth Peace, from, who played from 97 to 2000, into a seventh place tie with Lizzie Butler on OSU's all time list. The Beavs now are 4 0 1 and resume play at 4 30 p.m. Thursday against Texas at Austin, Texas, in a game that will be televised by the Longhorn Network. The Beavs are 1 0 lifetime against the Longhorns thanks to a 1 0 victory in Corvallis in 2013. Wow. Yeah. So that's always good. Yeah. Moving on, Beach, we'll go on to men's soccer. And that silence is deafening. <laughs> the Oregon State men's soccer team improved to 3-0 for the second year in a row on Friday with a 1-0 victory over Vermont at the Nike Portland Invitational at Merlot Field. Sophomore forward Jordan Jones scored the only goal of the game when he headed home a long throw-in by senior forward Mikhail Dolas. That gave the Beavs, who are now 3-0-0, the win in the initial game between OSU and the Catamounts, who are coached by Jesse Cormier, an OSU assistant from 2001 to 2003 under former head coach Dana Taylor. 
Now, OSU begins a two-game East Coast road trip at Duquesne at 5 o'clock Friday in Pittsburgh. It then heads to Ithaca, New York for a September 13th match against Cornell starting at 8 a.m. Now, the men's soccer team has cracked the top 10 in the rankings, uh, the top drawer soccer rankings, coming in at number 10 in Monday's poll. The 10th place finishes a five-spot increase over last week's rankings. The Beavs are also number 14 in this in both this week's Bennett rankings and College Soccer News Top 30, moving up from 15 and 19, respectively. Hey, Billy, didn't didn't we talk about creating our own poll last year? I create my own poll all the time, Beej. Well, that that's... <laughs> I thought we discussed that. I mean, it seems like everybody and their dog has a poll there anymore. There is like five or six different stupid soccer polls. And like, who yeah. am I? Like, who the hell? Top drawer? What the... Let's just start a stupid like, like panty. I mean, that's like the panty drawer, isn't it? guess so yeah if it's for soccer, soccer i guess you know it's 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 panty drawer for soccers because it's soccer anyways but anyway oh, i always thought we should call ours the pink tower of power <laughs> there you go the pink tower of power pole yeah there you go hey hey beach is yes. that a teletyper here behind you It is. It is. Ho- hold on, Billy. Hold on. Okay. It's got a lot to print here. Okay. It's printing a hell of a lot. Oh, God dang. Oh, son of a bitch. Okay. All right. All right. Oh, 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 oh. I think it's almost done. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. This just in. Eugene sucks. Well, it's true. It's true. So that's the update from Eugene today. That was the update from Eugene. Okay. So everybody be aware. All right. In case they didn't know already, if you couldn't smell the stench when you drove through I five. Come on, Billy. I thought it was good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Moving on. What do we got, Billy? Time, time to review the uh, the scores from uh, last week's uh, matches. All right, Beat. It's time to go under further review for the week number one in the Pac-12. After further review, the runner did... Cross the line. Okay. Touchdown. So I've got our picks from last week here, right here that I wrote down. And okay. uh, first games were on Thursday, September third, the opening day of the 2015 season. First game okay. that we had to pick was Utah at Michigan. You remember who you took? I'm pretty sure I took Utah on that one. And actually, all three of us—you, me, and Kyle—I hate you, Kyle—all took Utah. 
And uh, the game hailed as Jim Harbaugh as the new rock star of college football. But Utah would have none of it as the Utes defeated Michigan 24-17 in Salt Lake City. Now, the Utes took a 24-10 lead on Justin Thomas's 55-yard interception return for a touchdown with 7.58 left in the fourth quarter. Now, linebacker Gianni Paul had a game-high 14 tackles for Utah. Marcus Williams and Corey Butler-Bird joined Thomas with interceptions, helping to hold Badger quarterback Jake Ruddick in check. Ruddick's lone touchdown pass came with 54 seconds left and into triple coverage tight end jake butt made a great play leaping over a defender for the score yes his last name is butt i just feel like we should have minion laughs right now pretty much utah running back Monte booker overcame a slow start to finish with a team high seven catches for 55 yards and added 69 yards rushing travis wilson threw for 208 yards and ran for 53 yards and a touchdown nice so we all got that one right there Hold on, I have to take a no, sip no, of because no, no, I'm going to get the hiccups. No cupcakes for uh, for uh, Michigan there, huh? I think Michigan was the cupcake in that case. Yeah. You'd rather be the cup than the cake. All right, Beach. Next up was University of Texas San Antonio at Arizona. How Who did we all pick on that one, Billy? We actually all took Arizona, Beach, which is good. Arizona quarterback Anu Solomon threw four touchdown passes to help number 22 Arizona beat UTSA 42-32 to Thursday night. But the Wildcats suffered a big blow when All-American linebacker Scooby Wright went out with a left knee injury. Now, even before Wright went down, Arizona's defense struggled. The Wildcats scored two defensive touchdowns but gave up 525 total yards to UTSA, which returned only two offensive starters. Now, the offense was good at times, sputtered at others, and finished with a pedestrian for them 392 yards for Arizona. Solomon had 229 yards on 22 of 26 passing, and Nick Wilson added 97 yards rushing. Now, it did come out, Beach, that uh, Scooby Wright is going to be out for about three to four weeks. Wow. Well, I mean, that they should have beat UT San Antonio pretty handily, shouldn't they have? You would think, yes. But with 20, everything 20, that, yeah. with everything 32 that points is a lot of, that's a lot lot of points to give up. To give yeah. up. They give up 525 yards. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. So, Anyways, we all picked that one correctly. Now, next up, Beach was Colorado at Hawaii. And who did you take? I took uh, Hawaii on this one. Which was good for you, bad for Kyle and I, who took Colorado, but also bad for Colorado because they were, quite frankly, playing in Hawaii. Now, Colorado wide receiver Nelson Spruce, a first-team preseason All-Pac-12 selection, finished with eight receptions for 69 yards, and quarterback Sefu Lafau threw for 159, or excuse me, 158 yards on 23 of 40 passing and rushed for 81 yards on 18 carries, but he was intercepted once. But really, the story of the game, Beach, was the last play, or the lack thereof. Colorado trailed Hawaii 28-20 very late in the team's opener. Now, the Buffaloes got the ball down inside the Hawaii 10 with about 12 seconds to go, but they had no timeouts left. They needed to get one more quick snap-off, score, and then convert the two-point conversion just to tie the Warriors and send the game to overtime. One problem, though, Beach. The officials couldn't hang on to the dang ball. The Buffs got the ball quickly to the umpire, and then he tried to get it to the center judge. Now, Beach, the center judge is the new eighth official they've added to the playing field, and Mm -hmm. he sits behind the offense but opposite the white hat, the referee. Now, the center judge's responsibility is, one, to watch the back of the offensive line, so that way the referee only has to watch what's going on around the quarterback. 
The okay. center judge also spots the ball for the offense. It used to be the umpire, but now the umpire stays in his position behind the defense, and the center judge spots the ball. Okay. So they they Colorado made sure to get the ball to the umpire. He went to toss it to the center judge. But as he was doing that, the ball bounced off a Hawaii defensive lineman that was walking by. And then when the center judge went to pick it up, he kind of muffed it around. And then he got in the center's way, preventing Colorado from getting the ball snapped in time. And they basically ran 12 seconds off the clock without allowing Colorado to get a snap. Now, as soon as that ball was kind of booted on the ground, they should have stopped the clock, set the ball, allow the offense and defense to get set, and then restarted the clock. If could, not, could add co- some more time back on. Could Colorado have called some type of um, request no, for the – Well, the you, you would have had to have a timeout in order to request a review. Well, yeah, and – And the ref should have done it on its own, and could the ref upstairs have called it? I don't know. if It's a situation that I've never seen happen before. Sadly, though, these kind of things happen in Hawaii. I don't believe they bring a, uh, impartial officials out from the island. And it, it might not have anything to do with getting homered at Hawaii. It just sure as hell feels like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, like I said, you know, you got, you, you, like you said, you have eight officials there. Certainly one of them should have had the gall to say, hey, we need to put five seconds back on the dang clock. Exactly. If not more than that. Because yeah, I mean, the- it doesn't have to be the referee that does it, does it? That what? Puts the time back on the clock? I mean, well, could any ref call that? Or could any, they call a discussion? Any any ref can call a dead, can, can stop the clock. All he has to do is blow his whistle and wave his arms over his head. Right? Because you've mm-hmm. seen that happen in other cases where a referee will come running in from the side. Yeah, like, because there's something, there's something inconsistent. Because there's something going on, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, somebody should have stopped the clock at that point and blown the play dead. But, you know, good luck sometimes. Didn't you say this happened once before to Oregon State? Well, Oregon State had something different, but same, you know, got screwed at Hawaii. It's about 1989 they're playing there, and it looked like they might actually win the game. And I think actually that season they ended with four or five wins, so it could have potentially ended the losing streak. But running back for Oregon State, Pat Chafee, was about two or three yards deep in the end zone with the ball in his hands when he got Mm -hmm. hit. The ball squirted out of his arms out the back of the end zone, and they called it a touchback. And he was so even though the even though the minute you have possession of the ball in the end zone, it's a touchdown. It's a touchdown as soon as you cross the line. As soon as one bevel on that ball crosses the uh, the goal line, it's a touchdown. So it couldn't have been a touchback if he was in possession of the ball once he crossed the line. Mm-hmm. They would have had to have said he fumbled it before the ball passed the line. True. Which is what they claimed. Well. They said he fumbled it and it was fumbled out of the back of the end zone. So freaking cheaters. Yeah. Anyways. So not good for Colorado, but good for Beach who picked Hawaii. Yep, I'm up. All right, Beach. Uh, next up is all the games on Friday, September fourth. First up was Weber State at Oregon State. We all picked the beeves on this one, if I do believe. I would sure as hell hope so, Beach. True freshman quarterback Seth Collins threw a pair of touchdown passes, including a 44-yard fourth-quarter strike to Jordan Villeman, to lead the beeves to a 26-7 victory Friday night over Weber State in head coach Gary Anderson's debut. Now, Collins went into the game sharing quarterback duties with redshirt freshman Marcus McMarion as the beavers adjusted to a new spread offense under Anderson. 
In addition to two TD passes, Collins led the Beavs with 152 yards rushing, the most for an Oregon State quarterback since Tim Alexander ran for 205 against Northern Illinois in 1996. Timmy! One of Collins' runs in the second quarter was capped by an acrobatic hurdle over a defender. Now, place kicker Garrett Owens added four field goals on four attempts. Now, Weber State junior quarterback Jadrian Clark completed 19 of 35 passes for 120 yards and an interception against the Beavs. Now, the Beavs defense, which is also sporting a new look under new defensive coordinator Kalani Sataki, held the Wildcats to 0 of 13 on third down. That was impressive. Yeah. Now, Oregon State wore black and white uniform combination for the first time since the Beavs rebanding in 2013 with black jerseys, white pants, and white helmets. The helmet will feature a uh, red and white blue Beaver logo in tribute to U.S. Armed Forces. I, I prefer us in black. I do, too. I, I like that. Um, I, no. You know, I just, uh, to me, I think it just looks, I just think it looks tough. Mm-hmm. You know, I like the men in black. So, mm-hmm. Anyways, all right, we all got picked up a win there, Beach. Next up was Washington at Boise. I think I picked uh, Boise State on this one. Actually, all three of us did. Jerry McNichols rushed for 89 yards and two first-half TDs, and Boise State was set a second half filled with special teams mistakes for a 16-13 victory over Washington on Friday night. And Peterson's return to the school he helped crow into a national powerhouse. Now, Boise State dominated the first half in building a 16-0 lead, but Washington's defense stymied the Broncos in the second half, and three big plays on special teams, including Dante Pettis' 76-yard punt return for a TD, gave Washington a chance. Now, Husky true freshman quarterback Jake Browning had the Huskies on the cusp of overtime, driving them to the Boise State 19 before a key holding penalty against wide receiver Braden Lanius. Then Browning was sacked on the next play, and a screen pass moved the ball to the Boise 29 with 21 seconds left. A Husky field goal attempt missed just to the right, and the celebration ensued in Boise. Now, interesting thing here, Beads, that true freshman quarterback for Washington, Jake Browning, is the son Mm -hmm. of former Beaver quarterback Ed Browning, who played for the Beavs in the late 80s. Wow. And I was reading about Jake Browning. The guy, kid set just tons of high school records down in California. Like throwing for ungodly amounts of yards every year and ungodly amounts of touchdowns. Hmm. So it'll be pretty talented athlete. Yeah. First game was a little rough, but we'll see how he adapts. Yeah. So I have to ask a question. So since Washington lost at Boise State, did any player throw a punch? I do not believe so. Well, then look at how classy they are compared to their uh, the other team in the Pac-12. Other teams. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. All right, Beach. Uh, next up, the games were all. The rest of the games were on Saturday, September fifth. First up was Stanford at Northwestern. Um, I think I picked uh, Stanford on this one, didn't we all? We all picked Stanford, Beach. Yes, uh, which was not a good thing. Now, Northwestern quarterback freshman Clayton Thorson ran for a forty-two yard TD while playing turnover-free ball, and Justin Jackson added one hundred and thirty. Four yards rushing, and the Wildcats beat the Cardinals 16 to six on Saturday. Now Stanford, coming off an eight and five season that snapped a string of four consecutive BCS bowls, clearly has some work to do this season. The quarterback for Stanford, uh, Hogan, had a rough outing, going 20 of 35 with 155 yards and an interception. He was also sacked three times. Now, what, Kish- what? What? Okay, go ahead. Sorry. 
Christian McCaffrey ran for 66 yards, but the Cardinal managed just 247 yards or 240 yards in offense and scored their fewest points since 2007. That was also the first time they've been held without a touchdown since 2007. What the hell is up with Stanford? I think they've got more issues than everyone really knows. Is it coaching or is it just bad, bad uh, recruits? I don't want to say it's coaching, but you know, it just it could be a young team. We'll wait and see. We'll because their coaching has been. When, when did Harbaugh leave? Four years ago. Uh, four or five years ago, yeah. Okay, so this coach has been around for four or five years, and I'm assuming they haven't changed much of their uh, lineup. Correct. But also, this would be his All recruits. His recruits, true, and that's something to look at in the future. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, Beach. Next up was Portland State at Washington State. You know, I I was close on this one. I almost picked Portland State, and I think I would have had they been playing, you know, in Portland. Yeah. But playing out there in Pullman, I just really thought uh, the Cougs were going to win it. Well, a lot of people did. I think same with the Cougs. Um, but uh, the Portland State football players, Beach, call their style of play Barney Ball in honor of new head coach Bruce Barnum. The reason why is because uh, Barnum is the head coach for the year, but it's only on an interim basis. After last season, Portland State fired head coach Nigel Burton and hired Barnum on an interim basis for only a year. So they're still in the process of looking for a new head coach. Now Barney well, they Ball, have, they might have secured one here with with uh, this kind of performance. Well, possibly, we'll wait and see. But now Barney Ball made a shocking debut on Saturday as Portland State of the football championship subdivision upset Washington State twenty four to seventeen in a driving rainstorm that hampered Wazoo's high flying offense. Now Barnum said it's blue collar, tough, and fundamental. Now Portland State scored all twenty four of its points in the second half and won despite being outgained. 411 to 294 yards. Now, Washington State quarterback Folk, Luke Folk, completed 27 of 41 passes for 289 yards with two touchdowns. He left the game in the closing minutes with an undisclosed injury. Hmm. Yeah. So I have not heard if he'll be out. They tend to be pretty tight-lipped with injuries updates up there in, in uh, Pullman. So. You, you, ever, you ever seen the movie Johnny Be Good, Billy? Oh, of course. I, I love it when uh, Michael Hall has to uh, get out of the game mm-hmm. when he's in high school. Tells his coach, "Coach, you got to get out. Yeah. I broke my, I broke my unit." He's trying to get Robert Downey Jr. in there. Yeah, yeah. So Robert Downey Jr. get in for a couple of plays because he's holy crap. Back. That was Robert Downey Jr., wasn't it? Yes, it was. Holy crap! Yeah, Anthony Michael Hall is the stud quarterback and. Robert Downey Jr. as his kind of weird eccentric friend. Boy, have their uh, roles changed, haven't they? Yeah, yeah, totally. Anyways, Beach, next up is Virginia at UCLA. Good old Virginia. Virginia. Um, we all picked Ucla on this one, did we not? Yes, we did, Beach. And true freshman quarterback Josh Rosen passed for 351 yards and three TDs, leading the number 13 Bruins to a 34-16 victory over Virginia on Saturday. Now, Thomas Durarde, Devin Fuller, and defensive tackle Kenny Clark caught scoring passes from the 18-year-old Rosen, who went 28 of 35 with several stunning throws and no turnovers. The local kid with the powerful arm and remarkable football smarts shook off the nerves and captivated the Rose Bowl in a memorable debut. Now, 
Rosen showed remarkable poise while stepping in for three-year starter Brett Hundley, and UCLA racked up 503 total yards to beat Virginia easily. The nation's top quarterback recruit even impressed his teammates, who didn't hesitate to call him by his high school nickname, Chosen Rosen. Now, UCLA linebacker Miles Jack rushed for a TD, and the 310-pound Clark nimbly hauled in a TD pass late in the third quarter to cap the Bruins' strong offensive performance. Everything was managed capably by Rosen, who capitalized on nearly every opportunity in offensive coordinator Noel Mazzoni's scheme. So, uh, Brett Hundley, their uh, former quarterback, what happened to him? He went on to the NFL beach. Okay. And I don't know where he's at now. I'm not sure. I haven't so, kept up on him. So he wasn't expecting to uh, start as quickly as he did. Well, I think they kind of knew he'd probably start. Um, it, uh, you know, he's kind of like the, like I said, he was the number one recruit in at uh, at uh, quarterback in the nation. So wow. looks like Brett Hundley is playing for Green Bay. Okay. So he's backing up, uh, backing up. Aaron Rodgers up there. So. Nice. All right, Beach. Next up was Cal at or Grambling State at Cal. We, we all picked uh, Cal on this one, did we not? Yes, and that's probably a good thing, Beach. Uh, defensive backs Cameron Walker and Devontae Downs each returned interceptions for scores to help back a three-touchdown performance from Jared Goff as the Golden Bears opened the season with a 73-14 win over Grambling State on Saturday. Quarterback Jared Goff threw for 309 yards before sitting the entire second half and connected with Kenny Lawler for three scores. The Bears broke out to a 52-0 halftime lead with the highest scoring half in modern school history. They finished with the second most points in modern history to the 86 they scored against Pacific in 1991. Hey, hey Billy, when we do an update again for, uh, for Cal yeah. next week, I think you need to say, Jared, we call him Jack Goff. Jared, don't call me Jack. Yeah. Okay, that'll work too. Okay. Jared, don't call me Jack. Goff. Okay. I can do that. All right. I think that's our, our new tagline for for Cal. We can okay. do that. Being led by Jared, Jared don't, don't call, call me, me Jack. Jack. Goff. Goff. All right. All right. Next up was Arizona State. We all got to win there. Well, next up was Arizona State at Texas A and M. So I don't. I didn't hear about this one, Billy. How did the uh, How did the uh, Sun Devils do? Not good, Beach. We all took Arizona State. Arizona State tried to recruit both Kyle Allen and freshman Christian Kirk, who grew up just outside of Tempe, Arizona, in the town of Scottsdale. Instead, they signed with Texas A&M, and on Saturday night, the pair led the Aggies to a 38-17 win over the 15th-ranked Sun Devils. Are they both fresh? Are they both freshmen? Both freshmen, yes. Arizona wow. quarterback Micah Berkovici threw for 199 yards and a touchdown for the Sun Devils. It was the first ever meeting between these teams, and the loss dropped the Sun Devils to 0-7 against the Southeastern Conference. Wow. Yeah, not good. So, are, do they have worse troubles in Stanford, or what do you? I don't thinking? know. Wait and see. They were going up against. Well, I don't know. I don't know. That, Texas and Stanford. Pretty. They just never got anything going. They could not move the ball worth a crap. You know, but we've had games like that, and we ultimately were able to turn the season around shortly thereafter. So, you never know. Oh, I agree. I agree. Okay, Beach, next up was Eastern Washington at Oregon. 
how did that one turn out, Billy? You you uh, you guys didn't go with Oregon. You you guys both picked Eastern Washington. Both picked Eastern. Right? You took Oregon, which was good. Yeah, for you. not not because I wanted to, but just because I thought they it's were playing business. in the Hudson and they had a better shot. It's business. That's right. Now, Oregon quarterback Vernon Adams threw for 246 yards and two TDs before he left the game in the fourth quarter, and number seven Oregon defeated his former team Eastern Washington 61 to 42 to open the season on Saturday night. Now, running back Royce Freeman ran for a career-high 180 yards and three scores for the Ducks. Now, Jordan West, who took over as Eastern Washington's quarterback after Adams' departure, threw for 293 yards and three touchdowns before leaving the game in the third quarter and was seen limping on the sideline later, but he said that he just had cramps. Now, Eastern receiver Cooper Cup caught 15 passes for 246 yards, both records at Autzen Stadium, and three scores for the Persistent Eagles, who are ranked number six in the preseason football championship subdivision coaches poll. Wow. Yeah. So, Eastern's good, but I don't think they're as good as they were last year. Mm-hmm. But I tell you what, they tore that super young secondary for Oregon apart. Well, so so as far as their record goes, that record for just a team in Autzen Stadium, not yes, not that's particularly a, that's an opposing team. Stadium record, yes. Wow. And that's impressive considering Oregon's um, offensive efforts. Yeah, but their offensive efforts usually don't contain that much. One receiver doing that. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. Now their their rushing efforts are pretty big, but they're yeah they're receiving. Mm-hmm. So, Beach, you got the win there, and the last game of the weekend, Beach, which it's tough these first weeks when we have twelve Pac-12 games to go through. Um, mm-hmm. Last one up was Arkansas State at USC. Oh, the men of Troy won that one, did they not? Yeah, we all took USC Beach. Uh, Trojan quarterback Cody Kessler passed for 236 yards and four touchdowns, and Trey Madden rushed for 106 yards and a score. And number eight, USC beat Arkansas State 55-6 to Saturday night in its season opener. Now Madden, Juju Smith-Schuster, Stephen Mitchell Jr., and Oklahoma transfer Taylor McNamara caught TD passes from Kessler in the Trojans' first game since the official end of the NCAA scholarship restrictions on the perennial power. Now, the Trojans are still rebuilding their depth as they renew their chase for a national title, but they had more than enough talent to trounce the Red Wolves. Now, Kessler directed praise to the Trojans' playmaking freshmen, particularly the tailback trio featuring Ronald Jones II, Aka Cedric Ware and Dominic Davis. Jones and Ware scored touchdowns while USC played 13 freshmen against Arkansas State. So they now have their full complement of scholarships to hand out, but they have to rebuild that depth. So, so B- Billy, with that, th- those are the penalties all from the Reggie Bush era, correct? Correct. So how many years did that last? Well, it lasted a while because what they did was, see, there was two sides to that penalty right one was well there was about three there was a bull band well there was they had to vacate wins so it means like you didn't even play those games there was a mm-hmm. bull ban and there was this loss of scholarships now what they did was they accepted the vacates they accepted the bull ban but they challenged the scholarship limitations mm-hmm. so by the time that challenge got basically overturned the bowl ban was over and so they could now they were just losing players so it was kind of a good job on their part separating those two parts of the penalty away okay because they could still recruit as many players as they wanted it's like well you're not going to go to a bowl game but you could still come to usc 
And then once mm-hmm. the bowl game ban was over, they could say, hey, you're not going to go to a bowl game, but you're going to come to USC so they could still go out and get really good talent, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. It was a smart idea by them. I think it was kind of crap, but it was a good job by them, and I think it was done purposefully. Well, you, you compare that to other teams that have committed violations and the lack thereof on their penalties. Oh, losing a scholarship? I, I, yeah, I, I, guess, I guess what bothers me is the inconsistencies on the whole thing. There is a huge so. rule book for the NCAA on what rules you have to follow. There is no book on how they apply penalties. Wow. Yep. So, anyways, Beach, um, after the first week, you are sitting in the lead at 9 of 12, and Kyle and I are in second place at 7 of 12. Wow. But it's a long season. Yes, it is. Okay. All right, Beach, so let's look at the Pac-12 in the polls. Um, After last week, Oregon sits alone at number 7, USC at Mm -hmm. 8, UCLA at 13, Arizona at 22, Utah at 24, and Arizona State, Cal, and Stanford are in the others receiving votes category. In the USA Today coaches poll, Oregon is at 5, USC at 10, UCLA at 13, Arizona at 20, Utah at 25, and Arizona State, Stanford, and Cal are in the others receiving votes category. Okay. So, Arizona State and Stanford fill out of both polls. So, All right, Beach, it's now time for one of your favorite segments of the show. The Tommy Tuberville. What's he think I look like? A jackass? Jackass of the Week Award. Sure do. Every week we like to discuss a person in college football who exemplifies the truly worst in sportsmanship, leadership, or just being a fan. And Beach, this week we actually have two jackass awards to hand out. Really? Including this first award, which I don't know who exactly we hand it out to. I don't know if it goes to a fan base. Definitely goes to a thief. It goes to an athletic department. I'm not sure. We, we've given it to a fan base before, haven't we? I think so. But this one actually goes out to, we'll just say, the community at the University of Florida. Now, University of Florida police say computers were among the items stolen from a New Mexico State team personnel bus during Saturday's game. Brad Barber of the University Police Department said the bus, which carried football staff members, was parked outside the stadium in a secure area. Dozens of police cars were parked near the bus, so it seemingly took some gall to enter the bus where it was parked, Barber said. Two other buses, which carried New Mexico State players, weren't targeted. Now, New Mexico State Athletic Director Mario Mokia said about 7 to 10 people had items stolen. The victims included administrators, boosters, the deputy athletic director, and Mukia himself, who lost his computer, work documents, an iPod, his passport, and the keys to his home, work, and car. Wow. Now, he said the things underneath the bus were not touched. It was the things that were in the bus, and that was a lot of briefcases and things like that, but not everything was taken. Now, to add insult to injury, Florida also beat New Mexico State 61-13 to in its season opening game. Now, Barber said a witness told police two people were involved in the theft. He added that it likely occurred between 7.15 and 9. Now, Barber is quoted as saying the general information was that at some point during the football game, two individuals pulled this off. There's one witness who saw what happened. One of the individuals gained entry and was on the bus for a short time and exited the bus with some electronic equipment, laptops, headphones, a small amount of cash, and a few items left on the bus. As of Sunday afternoon, police said they had not identified any suspects. 
Now, they added that the police would not release an official report on the incident until later in the week. What now, the my, hell's wrong with people? I know. First of all, how do you have two witnesses and they don't report that someone's breaking into a bus? Exactly. I see a couple guys looking kind of shady grabbing a bunch of crap that they didn't go in with. Yeah, and coming off a bus. You don't report it? What the hell? And they said the bus was parked in a secure area that had cop cars all around. What the hell? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. So anyone, it's okay, Mr. Officer. This this is totally my five computers. Yeah. And and my my duffel bag and my backpack and yeah. Yeah. yeah totally. And evidently the keys to my brand new Ford Mustang. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, so to the community of the University of Florida, this Jackass of the Week award. <laughs> is for you. Now, next up, Beach, is one that's really kind of disturbing. Now, this goes out to two high school football players in the state of Texas. Now, Beach, I sent you the leak. Have you watched it? I did. I did watch this. Okay. Now, two Texas high school football players have been suspended and potentially face criminal charges, according to ESPN, for an unusual and deeply unsportsmanlike hit on a referee during a game on Friday night. The two defensive players from John Jay High School lined up normally during the waning moments, excuse me, waning moments of a 15-9 loss to Marble Falls. And instead of tracking the play, they beelined towards the referee who had his back to the players and was watching the play. The first player hit the referee right square in the back, knocking him down. The second player speared him with his helmet once he was on the ground. Now, one of the players was immediately ejected, but the other stayed on the field as the ref mistakenly ejected another player not involved in the play. Both players, however, were later suspended from the team and from school pending a full investigation. The referee was, quote, very upset and wanting to press charges, Austin Football Officials Association Secretary Wayne Elliott told ESPN. The first thing we want is that those two kids never play football again. <laughs> now, these two kids have come out later and said, well, the official in question had said a racial slur directed at them. That, that's just a BS excuse. I agree. I, even if he had... There's a way you deal with a problem and a way you don't. What they did was assault. Mm-hmm. And I hope they throw the book at him. Well, the, the guy wasn't even... I mean, it's one thing if you're even ready for a hit, but the guy had his back to him, blatantly went into him, and good God, that's got to hurt like hell oh, with I'm a sure, freaking helmet sure. and padded up, and the coach is just completely exposed with nothing but a T-shirt on. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. oh, I agree. I mean, oh, that, that really proves you're a big man, doesn't it? When, yeah. When you're all put it up in pads. Exactly. Exactly. So it says here the assistant coach for John Jay High in San Antonio is alleged to have said this guy needs to pay for cheating us before the the two players uh, targeted him. Yeah. So I, that's all alleged. Same mm-hmm. with the the racist comment. Now there were two other players earlier in the game from John Jay, Jay John, whatever. John Jay. John Jay. Jay John was an old Oregon State basketball coach. Okay. John Jay, that were rejected earlier in the game. And the players had been kind of grousing about, they thought there was a lot of missed calls in the game. So, anyways, to those two players from Texas, this week's second jackass of the ward of the week. (laughs) 
Anyways, Beach, I just that's just it's just ugly. It's an ugly thing to see. I don't know if those kids were watching too much of the movie The Longest Yard, thinking that would be funny. Mm-hmm. But you know what happens in a movie, and what happens in real life are two totally different things. Yeah. So, all right, Beach. Now it's well, time. I mean, to- they they could have seriously injured him. Oh, I know, I know. You know, I mean, thank God he's he's okay. But I mean, they could have broke bones. They, I mean, oh, they could have severed spines, Beach. Yeah, exactly. Where they hit him. All right, Beach, it's now time to move on to our musical interlude for the show. And this year, Beach, we are spotlighting a little Guns N' Roses. So with the Beavs getting ready to go to the big house this week, go play at Michigan, I figured we'd start with a little, we'd, we'd go today with a little welcome to the jungle. What do you think? Sounds good to me, Billy. All right, good, good pump-up song. Get you ready to go. So here is Guns N' Roses from the album Appetite for Destruction with a little Welcome to the jungle.
All right, Beach. One of my favorite memories of that song is from the movie. Uh, remember the Dirty Harry movie? Uh, oh, Axelson. Uh, uh, it's Deadpool. Yeah, Deadpool. That song. Axel singing that song, d- shooting the video. He's a different. He's a character in the movie who's singing that song, shooting a video for the song in the movie. So, so I, f- I found a little trivia here. Oh, okay, cool. I like trivia. Uh, yeah, it says here, much like welcome, uh, much like welcome to the jungle. This was inspired by Los Angeles. Um, hold on, here, do I got? Yeah, uh, it was inspired by Los Angeles, where the band was living. The verses deal with the rough life on the streets, but the chorus was based on Axl Rose's memories of the Midwest, with images of green grass, innocence, and possibility. Yes. Slash wanted the chorus to be "Take me down to the Paradise City," where the girls, where are, the girls fat are and they got and they big. Got, Yes, something that rhymes yeah. with city and would be on a girl. <laughs> he uh, he hated the grass is green line, but the band overruled him to make the song more radio friendly. Yeah, they actually came with, they they actually, Beach, wrote this, well, they wrote the, they came up with the, the, the chorus, right, and, and, the, and the, the kind of the little tune for it mm-hmm. after they had their first paying job, one of the first paying gigs in San Francisco. And they were driving home, and they were all jacked up because they'd gotten paid for playing music, and kind of came up with the song on the way. Hmm. Yes. Where the girls are fat and they got big. Things that rhyme with cities. Uh huh. Yeah. So. Um. Yeah, it says here it's the only uh, song on Appetite with a prominent synthesizer. You know, that's one thing that was kind of a transition because synthesizers were all the rage before mm-hmm. Guns N' Roses, and then it, it's really they kind of. They took synthesizers out, made it much more of a rock sound again. Yeah, much more gritty. So yeah, yeah, it's a great song. I love that song. All right, cool. Yeah. Can't wait for next week's song. All right, what are we on to, Billy? We'll have to do a little Paradise City sometime. I don't know when we'll put it in, but we'll put it in. Okay. All right, Beach. Uh, time to do a little Pac Twelve Week Two preview. You there? I'm here. I'm here. Sorry. A little week two preview. Um, and do you have your prognostication hat ready to go? Uh, I hope so. I hope so. Right on. Now, I wanted to say that um, Kyle emailed me his picks. And this is what he said, Beach, before we get started. He said, last year we did have a bet, 50 bucks each. Bill and I tied. I think we had Beach drop the 50 bucks in the tailgater chip jar. I'm good with having 50 on it again. So if you're good with that, Beach, so am I. Okay. All right. And uh, I have to say, Beach, before we get moving on, those Heinrich tailgater magnets you had made for the the vehicles, those uh-huh. things look pretty bitching. Yeah, Kevin did an awesome job. He did a great job. So Hopefully people yeah. can see those on the Facebook page and stuff. I just thought those looked amazing. Yeah. I know they cost a pretty penny, but they look good. All right, Beach. So first up, uh, all the games are on Saturday, uh, the twelfth. So first up, Beach is Utah State at Utah. Who who you got? I'm thinking that's like a holy war for them down there, isn't it? It's it's one of their rivalries. Yes. Okay. I, you know, I think Utah's too strong. I think Utah's going to win that one. Okay. Kyle says Aggies don't have the oomph this year. Utes win. I too am going with Utah. Three for three on that one. That quarterback that was at Utah State, and I can't remember his name right now. He had a funny name, but I think he's—I think he graduated. Okay. Let me see if I can find his name here. 
It was an interesting dude, game. Google, Google, dude with funny name. Quarterback. Chucky Keaton. There he goes. Chucky Keaton. If I could find it. All right. All and right. It's gone. So. Um, up next, Beach is Sacramento State at Washington. Sac State at Washington. Mm-hmm. God dang, Billy. Um, I think I'm going to take Sac State on this one. All right. Kyle says, <laughs> Sac. <laughs> Washington wins. I, too, am going to take UW. I think UW has some issues, but playing at home against a lesser quality opponent, I think they will take it from Sac State. Hmm. All right, Beige, next up, Massachusetts at Colorado. I think Colorado's going to get their their win here this week. Yeah. Um, I, too, will take Colorado. Kyle says, UMass slowed down by high elevation. Colorado wins by a squeaker. They could be slowed down by a lot of high things. They're in Colorado, but uh, I'll take Colorado. So will Kyle. So all three of us got Colorado. Okay. Okay, Beach. Next up, R- Washington State at Rutgers. Now, if you don't know, Beach, Rutgers is the state university of what state? State. Yeah. What state is the uh, Rutgers the state university of? I have no idea, Billy. New Jersey. Oh. Yeah. Rutgers is the state. I don't know why it's called Rutgers. We'll have to look that up sometime. Maybe I'll do that for you. Yeah. Yeah, right, that's, a, that's a hell of a fight for Washington State to make. Yeah, so Washington State at Rutgers. I, I'm thinking Rutgers is going to win that one. I think uh, Washington State's still going to be trying to dig themselves out of a hole before they get into Pac-12 play. Yeah, I too am taking Rutgers. Kyle says, I wonder if Leach, in his wide base of knowledge, studies Cuban sports teams. Specifically, how to prevent defectors from tra- when traveling abroad. That could be useful for a team out of Poland. Cougars lose. Nice. Yep. So, uh, so we're all taking uh, Rutgers there. Mm-hmm. Um, next up is San Diego State at Cal. Um, I think I'm going to take Cal on that one. Taking Cal. All right. Kyle said Cal scores lots of points, allows a few less points. Cal wins. Some hippies fire up a celebratory doobie. <laughs> Right on. I, too, will be taking Cal. So all three of us cross the board on Cal there. All right, Beach. Next up, Arizona at Nevada. I think Arizona's going to win that one, even if they do have some issues. Mm -hmm. Kyle says, Arizona gets the win they should. Sorry, Wolfpack. I, too, will take Arizona. It's hard to say. Not having Scooby Wright's going to hurt, but I Mm -hmm. think they have more than enough firepower offensively to beat Nevada. Yeah, it just depends on when they get into Pac-12 play if they can keep it together. That's true. All right, Beach, next up, you uh, Idaho at USC. <laughs> They're going to be cannon fodder. USC's going to kill them. Yeah. Kyle said, Vandals, why must you be so bad? USC wins. Sark gets rid of weekend cockfighting in the coach's lounge. Not as entertaining without the booze. <laughs> nice. <laughs> is, that, is that what they're going to announce We're this week? We're not going to have booze in the locker rooms anymore. No, it's not. We're not going to have cockfighting in the <laughs> locker rooms anymore. We're, we're well, was in. that wrong? Was that so because wrong? I, I I didn't see in the contract where cockfighting wasn't allowed. It was specifically outlawed. 
You know, speaking about that beach, I just read it's an like article. Greg, it's like Greg Brady's exact words, Mom and Dad. Yeah. Those weren't your exact words. So I, I read an article today in ESPN. I saw it online. It'll be coming out in the magazine about the uh, cheating that the New England Patriots did. Mm-hmm. And not just about Deflategate. It's about the whole Spygate thing. Mm-hmm, and where how, they were, yeah. Oh, and it's brutal when it talks about how much went on. They're freaking cheaters. They're and cheaters. I get people, yeah, I get tired of people defending them. You know, it was like that one time you made a comment to an Oregon fan that you said, you know, half the rules that are up in the – that have been brought to the NCAA in the last couple of years have done because of what Oregon's done. What Oregon and his response was, well, you're welcome. And it's just like – so you're proud that you support a team that ultimately bends the rules so often that rules have to be changed put, put, in put order in to, stop the to stop them yeah. from cheating. Yeah. Yeah. Technically, it wasn't cheating, but it's cheating, so we're going to just call it cheating now. People of a normal mind wouldn't have done it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But people of lower quality and moral mm-hmm. fiber do. Anyways, it's an interesting article, Beach. if you have a chance to read it. Okay, Beach. Huh. so we're all taking uh, USC. Next up, mm-hmm. Oregon at Michigan State. I, I'm going to take Michigan State on this one. Right on. Now, Kyle I says... Don't, I, don't th- I don't think at Michigan State, I don't think Oregon's going to have their, uh, their fan base there. I think they're going to struggle. Now, Kyle said, go Spartans, Michigan State. I, too, am taking Michigan State. I think there's going to be a little payback present mm-hmm. in this one and we'll, we'll really see with vernon adams how he does against that defense that defense is going to be a hell of a lot different than uh eastern washington eastern washington tends to outscore people mm. you know they have kind, a lot of kind offense like, kind, like, kind of like oregon yeah so michigan state tends to have a pretty good defense and they got a lot of guys back from last year anyways all right so we all took michigan state next up beach ucla at unlv I think Ucla's going to own that one. Ucla, okay. And Kyle said, battle of the initials, UCLA wins. I, too, will take UCLA. Okay. All right, three more games to go here, Beach. University of Central Florida at Stanford. You know, I think the Cardinals going to be able to recover this week. Think so? I think so. All right. Um, Kyle says, trouble on the farm. UCF, I too wow. am taking Central Florida. They've got, they've got some firepower, and they're. I, I I think Stanford's in more trouble than a lot of people realize. Hmm. Okay, two games left, Beach. Next up, Cal Poly at Arizona State, and yes, Cal Poly does have a football team. I, I thought they're, it was just. They're the it's more than just. It's just more than an intramural group, huh? Yes, they. Uh, I believe they're the Mustangs, the horse, not the car. Oh, okay. Do, do they have names on the back of their jerseys, or are they just kind of generic? They probably have names on the back of their jerseys. Oh, okay. And I believe they play in the Big Sky Conference against Weber State and Portland State and Eastern Washington. Okay. I think uh, I think Arizona State's going to win this one. Yeah. I am taking Arizona State also. And Kyle says, ASU turns on the heat, ASU wins. Give them the heater. Give them the heater, Ricky. All right, Beach. and the last game that we're going to talk about – Oregon State going to the big house at Michigan. Why do they call it the big house? I don't know, Beeves. That's just what they've always called it. Okay. Um, I'm going to take the Beeves on this one. And take the Beeves. Yeah. Um, Kyle says, Michigan stops inviting Pac-12's teams into their stadium. Beeves win. 
I too will take the Beavs. I think they've got. I was. I really liked Oregon State's uh, defense last week. Mm-hmm. The, the the third down stops. Yeah. Phenomenal, considering where we were coming from. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So, and they were excited. That was the other thing fun to see, is the team was just so damn excited. Yeah, I, I think they really needed a uh, just a good piece of... They needed some fire. Arm, yeah. Yeah, they, they, we, just, we didn't have the fire for the last few years. Mm-hmm. They have some fire now. I'm excited. Yeah. They just needed a shot in the arm. Better than a shot in the mouth. Yeah. <laughs> True. So, uh, all right, Beach. So, you're about ready to talk some um, Michigan? Yeah I'm, yeah, I'm kind of anxious to learn. I know nothing about Michigan. So, right. you know, it's kind of nice when we play teams outside of the pack because we've never really investigated some of these before. Yep. Now, Beach, with 12 Pac-12 games this week to talk about, not only talk about the, the scores, but also what was coming up and go through our picks, normally when there's a away game we'll talk about you know top three or four bars to go try there or restaurants or something places to see this week because we have so much to talk about we're not going to do that and i don't know of many people going to the game i know a mm-hmm. few so this week uh, we're not going to do that but we will talk about michigan so the university of michigan which is frequently referred to simply as michigan is a public research university located in ann arbor michigan now it was originally founded in 1817 in detroit as the Catholopistamide, or University of Michigania, 20 years before the Michigan Territory officially became the state. Or like I like to call it, Catholopistamide. Yeah, Catholopistamide. Now, the University of Michigan is the state's oldest university. Now, Ann Arbor had set aside 40 acres in the hopes of being selected as the state capital. Now, when Lansing was chosen as the state capital, the city offered the land for a university. What would become the university moved to Ann Arbor in 1837, and those 40 acres became what is now known as the Central Campus. The first classes I, what, in Ann what, Arbor. I thought I thought I thought Ann Arbor was a whore. <laughs> yes. So, uh, well, I'll tell that little story right now. So, yes, when I was working the Walt Disney World College program, we we were we were we were yeah I was there in 19 we were there in 1994 over the Christmas time. And they hosted the teams that were playing in the Citrus Bowl that year. One was Ohio State. And they had both teams on different days come in, and they were in the parade, and they kind of honored them before the game. And uh, Orlando Pace played for Ohio State. He was a big, big man. Well, he was there, and he had this shirt in Ohio State colors that on the front said, Ann Arbor, and on the back it said, is a whore. And I have to say that even though he was in Disney World, Nobody asked him to remove that shirt. And it was just funny. It's one of those things that stuck with me forever then. Whenever I see an Ann Arbor now, my first thing is, is a whore. Yeah, it's the first thing that pops into my mind too, Beach. Yep. So, okay, back on to the topic of Michigan. The first classes in Ann Arbor were held in 1841 with six freshmen and a sophomore, taught by two professors. Now, 11 students graduated in the first commencement in Ann Arbor in 1845. Now, by 1866, enrollment had increased to 1,200 students, many of whom were Civil War vets, and women were first admitted to the school in 1870. Now, the university became a favored choice for bright Jewish students from New York in the 20s and 30s, when the Ivy League schools had quotas restricting the number of Jews to be admitted. Now, because of its high standards, Michigan gained the nickname as the, quote, Harvard of the, re- of the West, 
which became commonly parodied in reverse after John F. Kennedy referred to himself as a, quote, graduate of the Michigan of the East, Harvard University, in his speech perform, uh, proposing the formation of the Peace Corps while on the front steps of the Michigan Union. Now, in the fall of 2014, Beach, the university had an enrollment of, over, of almost 44,000 students, over 28,000 of whom were undergrads, 12,500 were academic degree-seeking grad students, and almost 2,700 were first-degree professional students. And that means they already had a degree and were professionals, but were just taking more classes but not working towards a second degree. So, so in other words, they uh, they can't find a job, but they don't want to move back with mommy and daddy. And they don't want to pay back their loans yet. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Now, There's going to be more and more of those professionals, those yeah. first professional students. Now, Beach, in recent years, annual members, uh, annual numbers of applications for freshmen have exceeded fifty thousand. Now, wow. around fifteen thousand students are admitted annually, with a target freshman class of about six thousand. So you're only getting six out of fifty thousand. In there, wow, so your chance to get accepted there are slim to none. Yep. For a state university, that's crazy. Correct. Now, uh, we'll talk a little bit about the University of Michigan sports teams. Now, the University of Michigan sports teams are called the Wolverines, and they participate in the Big Ten Conference. Now, Michigan boasts 27 varsity sports, including 13 men's teams and 14 women's. And that's because of Title IX and because they have equal participation numbers and football takes so many spots, they end up usually having an uneven amount of women's sports to compensate for that. Like uh, women's gymnastics, right? Yeah, it only takes... No, no, what is it? No, women's uh, competitive... Oh, uh, competitive or tumbling and cheer... or acrobatic and tumbling team? Yeah, That's, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Now, Beach, the official school colors for Michigan are maize and blue, and their nicknames are the Wolverines. Now the Wolverines they prefer the name maize over yellow, huh? Yes, it's maize and blue. They're very particular about that. Now the Wolverines have won a record 910 games and have an all-time winning percentage of 73.5%, also the best in college football history. Now Michigan wow. won the inaugural Rose Bowl in 1902, the first college bowl game ever played, and the Wolverine football program has claimed 11 national titles. That's huge. Now, Michigan is also home to many famous football coaches, including Fielding H. Yost, who came to Michigan from Stanford in 1901 and won that inaugural Rose Bowl in 1902. There was Fritz Chrysler, who guided Michigan to a pair of Big Ten Conference Championships and the 47 national title, and has his name carried by the home of Michigan's men's basketball team. And Bo Schembechler, who won 13 Big Ten titles in his 21 seasons as a head coach between 69 and 89. And also, the uh, first of those titles came in 69 when he beat his friend and mentor Woody Hayes in the beginning of what was then called the 10-Year War era of the Michigan-Ohio State football rivalry. And finally, Lloyd Carr, who won five Big Ten titles in 13 seasons at the helm and posted a winning percentage of 75.3%. Now, Beach, Michigan Stadium is the largest football-only stadium in the world with an official capacity of 109,901. That's why they call it the Big House. Well, it says here that um, John Crick, author of Natural Enemies and currently with the Toronto Sun, wrote a long article about Michigan Stadium late in 2003 prior to the game against Ohio State. He credits, he credits Keith Jackson with coining the Big House name circa 1998. Okay. And actually, wait. Um, this guy says this. is I'm looking this up. He also said that 
he did a quick database check and it said an article in the New York Times about 1985 in a Michigan Notre Dame game called it the Big House. Hmm. So yeah. Uh, sure. So it said uh, the other uses of the names and articles from late 80s without mentioning any Jackson. So it might be more accurate to say that Jackson popularized the nickname rather than actually having coined it. Gotcha. Um, <clears throat> I can't imagine being a stadium that big. Yeah, it's huge. Now, it says that... Um, That's yeah, what she said. The actual attendance, however, regularly exceeds that figure, and the stadium holds the NCAA single-game attendance record of 115,109 set on September 7th, 2013 at Michigan's night game against Notre Dame. Now, after a series of expansions, the stadium capacity has continued to end in 01 to denote an extra seat in honor of Fitz Chrysler. Now, Michigan Stadium has witnessed over 300 consecutive crowds of greater than 100,000, a street that dates back to November 8, 1975. Now, fielding Yost was instrumental in the creation of Michigan Stadium and designed it to permit its expansion to expand to a capacity of over, get this, beach, 150,000 people. With only 45,000 students. Yes. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's unbelievable. That's crazy. All right, Beach. So uh, that's all I've got for Michigan. I hope everybody who's going has a good time. And I know several people who are going to a game at Michigan and then hauling butt to Michigan State to watch the Duck game, which would be kind of fun. Yeah, no, that'd be a blast. Yeah. All right, Beach. It is now time for your segment, the Rosie Ruiz <coughs> Cheaters and Horrors. She's just a girl. She's a ball. I've got an interesting one. It's uh, okay. well, hold on here. So let me let me get to it. Okay, Billy, are you familiar with the uh, Golden Globe Round the World Yacht Race? No, I cannot say I'm familiar with that race. Well, I can't say that I am either. But this is an interesting fact surrounding the Golden Globe Round the World Yacht Race. Okay. Uh, back in 1968. A uh, 36-year-old sailor, his name was Donald Crowhurst, England, in a plywood trimaran, trim, trimaran, is that right, trimaran? I think it's trimaran, yeah. Yeah. As a competitor. Trimaran, it's kind of like a catamaran, I believe. Yeah, that's, yeah, oh, but three instead but of. three, yes, but instead of two. Yeah, uh, as a competitor. Though he had no experience, and his boat, which he called the Tainmouth Electron, was frankly underbuilt. Krauss managed to convince a wealthy backer uh, and the race judges and the media that he was a serious contender. But he wasn't. After several weeks of fighting leaks and making slow progress, Krauss began setting bogus radio reports indicating amazing success on the water. At one point, he claimed to have covered 391 kilometers in a single day, a world record at the time. In reality, however, Crowhurst had sailed off the route to the coast of South America, where he decided to lie low for a little bit and wait for the competitors to come back around. Oh, jeez. He spent 111 days in radio silence, then called in and reported another bogus position behind the race leader. But when a competitor sank trying to beat the Tainmouth Electron for second place, Crowhurst was overcome with guilt. He uh, wrote and confessed everything in his logbook, and then he jumped over the side of the boat and vanished into the Atlantic. 
Whoa. Crazy. That's crazy. He was a cheater, but he felt so bad about cheating, he offed himself. Exactly. That's not where I was expecting that story to go, Beach. Nope. You would never see uh, Chip Kelly jump off his boat or Bill Belichick. No, he'll just bail to the NFL. Exactly. Bill Belichick will claim that he didn't read the rule right. He was mistaken in his interpretation of the rule. In that article, that's what Belichick said. Well, see, I didn't realize the rule said that. I thought it read this, so it was just an honest mistake. You can understand. He's the kind of guy that would go on a bus and steal some stuff. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Basically, all he needs, Beach, is plausible deniability. That's all you're looking for. Actually, he doesn't even need that plausible deniability. He just needs deniability. Yeah. So, Beach, that was an interesting uh, cheaters. He did it because he, he did it because there was racist comments yelled at him. Yeah, That's that why. could be. That could be. Yeah. 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 All right, Beach. You got anything else to add to the show tonight? <laughs> when you're looking for an excuse, any excuse will do. I guess. Um, I I got nothing. I'm gonna kind of a, probably have a major announcement next week. Oh, cool. We'll hold that one under wraps until then. Cool. So, uh, where are you going to be watching the uh, Michigan game on Saturday? <clears throat> you know, uh, what time does the game start? Game starts at nine a.m. Oh. Well, if I can pull it on my uh, phone, if uh, somebody will be nice enough to text me their uh, their password so I can uh, get the Pac-12 on my uh, phone, I'll be watching it being inverted on roller coasters inside Magic Mountain. Oh, cool. Oh, that's right. You're doing your West Coaster Bash Saturday, right? I am. I'm so stoked. It's going to be awesome. Oh, be Twisted cool. Colossus, Goliath. Oh, I want to ride Twisted Colossus. X2, Tatsu. Well, yes. I tell you what, I will I will try to text you updates. I would greatly appreciate that. All right. Well, I want to thank everybody for listening to show number 60 of Illegal Participation. If you'd like to comment, send a suggestion, or ask a question, you can email us at HeinrichTailgator uh, at gmail.com. Follow me at HeinrichTailgator on Twitter, and also check out HeinrichTailgator on Facebook. Thank you, Beach, for being here. It's been thank fun. You for have, thank you for having me. Always glad to show up. Uh, next week, Beach will be show number 61. We'll do more fun and frivolity the only way we know how to. We'll talk more Beaver Impact 12 news. We'll recap week two. We'll preview week three. And we will talk the San Jose State game and talk a little Heinrich tailgater, which I believe we might be having some cheesesteaks. <sighs> cheesesteak day. That's right. Cheesesteak. Cheese That's my day. favorite game. <laughs> I just remember one of our regulars Oh, it's cheesesteaks. That's my favorite game. (laughs) Alright, so we'll end this with a great big Go Beavs. Good job, Beach. That one actually. I thought that one. I thought that one turned out better than last time. It did. It did, and it sounded better. And.
We just brought it. I think we're back more in our groove. Yeah, I feel like I'm in my groove. Yeah. So, all right, I'm going to stop recording.